ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at the Song of Solomon. A better translation is Song of Songs, and in other words, the best song of the songs. It is a love song, and the key word is love. Verse 1 attributes the song to Solomon. Keep in mind with the Hebrew language, just like with the Psalms. It could mean Solomon wrote it, or it could mean that it is a song for Solomon, which someone else wrote. Solomon is mentioned seven times in the song. Chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 5. Then in the middle, chapter 3, verses 7, 9, and 11. And then at the end in chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Now, before we dive in any farther, let's sing our song of the Old Testament books of the Bible. We will just sing the third verse, the books of poetry. Mm, let us sing the books of poetry, of poetry, of poetry. Let us sing the books of poetry, the songs the Jews sang. Job the patient, Psalms of David, and the Proverbs of the wise one. And then Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. Well, ladies, this book just may be the hardest to understand. I have read multiple versions, multiple books about it, and they all have a different view on how to interpret this song. Let me take a few minutes to explain why it's hard to interpret. First of all, there are various approaches to interpretation because some see a love song about humanity as inappropriate for holy scriptures. So some people see this as an allegory and only an allegory, which means it is one long metaphor. It's not rooted in real life history, and the purpose is just for spiritual truth. Some see the beloved as Christ and the maiden is the church. And it also is full of symbolism, which can make it difficult to understand correctly. Since the New Testament does describe marriage between Christ and the church, I can accept a little bit of this view, but not to the extreme that some people take it. Some see it as a cultic view or a mythological view, or that it came from a pagan cult or myth and adapted it to Hebrew culture. That is also hard for me to accept since this book has clearly been a part of Hebrew scripture and then also a part of Christian scripture. Some see it as a drama, which I sort of see. The problem is it does not clarify the actors and the scenes are not really set apart and in Hebrew literature there are no other dramas to compare it to. It has also been thought of as poems used in an Arabic wedding ceremony, yet in the song, they're not really married yet. Some see it as only for a teaching purpose about love. And then lastly, we have the literal view. 
The literal view sees it as love poetry within the historical setting of the days of Solomon and the situation is a young couple about to be married. See Hassel Bullock in an introduction to the Old Testament poetic books says on page 253, if we can agree that a book that celebrates virtuous love between man and women deserves a place in the canon of Holy Scripture, then we will have no difficulty with interpreting the song in its literal sense. Dr. Betts, my Old Testament professor, sees it as literal. And truth is, I do too. But then, in the midst of a literal interpretation, there are still issues and wide ranges of interpretation. For instance, is this just a song? Is it sung or is it read like a skit? Who actually are the actors or the singers? Traditionally, it is thought to have two main singers, the female, some call her the soprano, or the bride, or the woman, or also known as the beloved. Then the male, some call him the tenor, the man, the bridegroom, or the lover. Then we have at least one female group. Some call them friends, chorus. The text actually calls them young women of Jerusalem. There is at least a small part for a small group of men called brothers in the last chapter, chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. But some debate about that, and I have no idea why. Then others divide it up with an additional part for a narrator as well. For me, it sort of sounds like a skit or a drama Who knows, maybe it was the first Hebrew opera. Just kidding. Then comes the next problem in interpretation, in the literal view. Some see the man as Solomon the king, which is how Dr. Betts views it, and it is a love song between Solomon and the woman. Yet others see there is a second man present called the shepherd, as if it were a love triangle. For instance, in chapter 1, verse 7, the woman says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul lovest, where do you pasture your sheep? Solomon is never really described as a shepherd except in this book. The woman is really in love with the shepherd man, according to this view, so she rejects King Solomon's approaches. And even with those who accept that there are three main people, there are still two different versions or lenses on viewing that. The first is that Solomon was so impressed by these two who were in love that he wrote about it. Or the other is that it was written by someone else, maybe from the northern kingdom and maybe even as a parody against Solomon because of his many wives and concubines and because of his oppression on the people to build his kingdom so great. When I read this view, I immediately thought of the movie Princess Bride. Wesley the servant and Buttercup had true love, but the king-to-be, Prince Hupperdink, kept getting in the way. 
but true love wins out in the end. This is one of those times that I lean against that traditional view of Solomon being the man. And let me just share with you some of my reasons. Number one, nowhere in the passage does it say, Solomon, my beloved. Every reference with his name seems impersonal and some say King Solomon. Number two, Solomon's history with women is stated in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. He had 700 wives, also called princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart from the Lord God. Solomon's life does not exemplify a monogamous godly relationship like this song is representing which does not represent the Lord well. Even in chapter 6, verse 8 in the song, it says, There are 120 queens and 160 concubines and virgin without number. Then verse 9 says, My dove, my undefiles, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bore her. The daughters saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Then in chapter 8, at the end, the woman says in verse 12, My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit two hundred. It sounds as if she's keeping her vineyard and Solomon is not getting it. Then there are still other problems in interpretation. Some people see six sections separated into two groups. Some see just five sections of song. Add to that the way the King James divided up the chapters and the verses and they're a mess. For instance, chapter 1 verse 4 starts as the woman, take me with you. And then the second half of verse four seems to be the daughters of Jerusalem. We will rejoice and be glad for you. So even within verses, the voice changes and there are different speakers. It seems the end of chapter two is the woman and yet she continues to talk in chapter three. So even the chapters are not divided in sections as speakers. Now, in the Hebrew language, there is some spacing marked by small Hebrew letters at the end of some of the sentences. By the way, just so you know, sentences are marked in Hebrew by what looks like a colon in English language. So in the Hebrew, there are spaces marked after chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 14. Then in chapter 2, verse 7, verse 13, verse 14, verse 17. In chapter 3, verse 5, verse 8, verse 11. In chapter 4, we have verse 7 and verse 11. Chapter 5 is verse 1, after verse 1. Chapter 6, after verse 3, verse 9, and verse 10. Chapter 7, after verse 11. And then, in chapter 8, after verse 4, 
verse 7 and verse 10. But I will share with you that I have not found one English translation that adheres completely with these spacings. One key of trying to figure out when and who is talking is with the use of pronoun. But even then, verse 2 of chapter 1 says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. So is the woman wishing in the first line, then talking with her lover in the second line? Or could she be praying to God about her lover? I have no idea. One commentator made comment that sometimes in Hebrew poetry, they switch it around like this. So that adds more to the difficulty in trying to understand this song. A few more things to consider. In chapter 5, starting with verse 2, she says, I sleep. And then it seems to be a dream that she is describing after that. Also notice, we see phrases like, Oh, my love, my beloved. And we see these all through the book. Yet, in section 4, 8 through 5, 2, we see a different phrase. My sister, my love. Or my sister, my spouse. Again, I am not sure what that means. I just want to bring it to your attention. We do see some other continuities throughout the book. In chapter 2, verse 7, and chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 5, verse 8, and chapter 8, verse 4, they all start, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem. Three of those four end the same way. Stir not up, nor awaken my love till he please. Three times we see, who is this? The first and third is in chapter 3, verse 6, and chapter 8, verse 5. The middle one, chapter 6, verse 10, actually says, who is she? And the last phrase that is repeated throughout is, My beloved is mine, and I am his. That's in 2.16. And then in 5.3, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And then my favorite is chapter 5, verse 16. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So in the midst of so much confusion from this book, are there some things that we can take away from it? Yes. Number one, this book shows marriage between a man and a woman. Number two, physical love within marriage is good. Number three, the Bible celebrates marriage. Number four, In this book, there is no mention of having children. The female is valued and the male is valued for who they are, not for what they can bring to the marriage. Now, with the New Testament, there are two verses I want to point out. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, the Apostle Paul talks about marriage and how the two shall become one flesh, like it says in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam and Eve. And then he says that this union represents or makes reference to Christ and the church 
And he calls this a mystery. And then in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 21, verse 2, the Apostle John sees a vision and the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Because of these two verses, I can see that marriage represents the relationship of humanity with God and the Lord Jesus. And this, ladies, is the greatest mystery to understand how we can become the bride of Christ, who is Son of Man and Son of God. Ladies, we have read over and over again in the Old Testament that the Lord's love is everlasting. His Hesed love for us. He is faithful and true and full of mercy. He is not like King Solomon. The question is, can you say of Jesus, this is my beloved and this is my friend, as it says in chapter 5 verse 16 of the song. Or can you say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, chapter 6 verse 3. After 31 years of marriage, I can still say that my hubby is my closest friend on this earth. But Jesus is my best friend. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus says to his disciples, You are my friend, if you do whatsoever I command you. So ladies, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts against him. Instead, let's be women who love our beloved and let's obey. And that is all I'm going to say about the book of Song of Songs. And I'm going to let you read it for yourself and see what you come up with. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening.